0: Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Safety Talks. If this is your first time joining us, I'm your host, Tamara Paris. I've got an amazing conversation set up for us today with the Squincher team. Joining the conversation will be Bubba Walford, Scott Yetter, Blake Haynes, and Michael K. We're gonna be talking about hydration in the workplace. We're gonna look at how does this impact our overall health, the importance of including a robust hydration program as part of our safety program for our workers, as well as adding nutrition and hydration into our emergency management and crisis planning. Have you signed up for our Safety Connect conference yet? If not, take a moment after the show to navigate over to industryconnectsafety.com, and you can sign up and register for free. Now let's dive into that conversation. I wanted to thank everybody for taking your time today and joining us. Welcome.
1: Thank you. thank you. Thank you.
0: So as a health and safety professional, one of the big struggles that I had was getting our workers as well as management to understand the importance of hydration. What are your insights around you know, using hydration to help mitigate the health risks to our workers
2: yes yeah, uh you know dehydration unfortunately is overlooked um in our in our industry in the safety industrial safety industry uh not on purpose but but there's just there's not a lot uh written on it the, the, you know there's not a uh, there's no osha standards federal standards mandating. Um, water or electrolyte replacement so for that it's up to us to to bring bring the level of awareness to where it needs to be because it truly is a life-and-death conversation
0: what are the benefits that health and safety managers really need to become aware of about doing proper hydration practices with their workers
3: well just just like the uh uh other industries and other folks, we, we constantly have to hydrate in order to make sure that when you're perspiring and, and you're in your hot and uh, hot environments and in uh, uh, difficult places to get air conditioning or get any kind of airflow that you got to replace your electrolytes. you got to replace your your water. Um, mm-hmm. Water alone isn't good enough. you got to have something in it. So you have choices. You have ready made drinks or you can use. Uh, some other kind of electrolyte replacement. So squincher, for us, is an excellent industrial replacement for electrolytes and uh, water.
0: yeah, you know, I, I remember um, in my, in the role that I was doing, that one of the things that was so key about ensuring that the employees were hydrated is because it can actually impact their focus it can impact their capability to do their job safely for for example i remember a friend w- who was in construction sharing a story with me about a crane operator who was really having some visual issues and when they when they looked at they they kind of drilled down on it hydration was a key issue, because the pi- person was a diabetic and they weren't hydrating correctly while they were doing their job and it was actually starting to impact their, their vision. So there, there is a correlation there that we need to be really becoming mindful of um, as safety professionals about how, you know, but you say that it's not just a sports drink. Can you kind of share with that,
2: yeah, so when you you think of a, a sports drink, major label, whatever it is, typically the, that population is eighteen to twenty six years old. That the the first electrolyte company, Gatorade, that they were founded at University of Florida to give them endurance in the fourth quarter, so they could try to beat Alabama. I mean, that's that's how it all started in the sixties. Um, we came along right after they did, about nineteen seventy five, and um started looking at this industrial safety market and, and when we started to drill down on who our who the actual consumer was, it wasn't an eighteen to twenty six year old athlete, it was a forty average forty year old industrial worker. And with that, mm-hmm. uh the body is changing as everybody knows, uh, I was not born, I was born with hair and I was born without glasses. I was six, well, I was six, five uh, <laughs> when I was born, but uh, I, was, I drank some of those sports drinks and see what happened to me. So uh, with us, you know, we, we immediately looked at the medical preconditions and um, in, in what our formula, <clears throat> you know, The the aspects of our formula that was helping or hurting uh, a diabetic, for example. Um, The numbers are staggering, as everybody knows. It's an epidemic in this country. Uh, Type 1, type 2 diabetes and also hypertension is the number two largest issues, I would argue, they're an epidemic at this point. Childhood uh, diabetes is is becoming rampant overnight. So with that, knowing that, okay, we have a challenge of about 40% of the workforce walking into work every morning that's sensitive to the two main ingredients in a sports drink, which is salt and sugar. So it may not, it may be surprising when I tell people that our zero formula, our zero sugar formula is our number one selling formula that surprises the hell out of people until I explain what the challenge is of Scott and Blake are, that their folks aren't, aren't very healthy. The, the United States of America is not very healthy. And, and they're 75% dehydrated on top of all of that. So how do we hydrate them I when mean, we don't complicate their already medical precondition challenges coming in and they're sensitive to salt and sugar? What do we do? So that that's that, that's the whole deal. That's where Hydration 365 came from. Uh, you know, fit testing, I've been in the business 11 years. Fit testing was not that big when I first came in. Now it's huge. We feel like we can do fit testing because we have three formulas. We have a regular sugar formula. We have our Everlight formula, which is the lower calorie formula. And then we have our zero sugar formula that, believe it or not, a lot of plants mandate uh, that there's no sugar in their facility, period. Uh, because they don't want to add to the the health issues that they have. We haven't even talked about obesity. Uh, those numbers are staggering. So if you got somebody, if you got folks drinking sports drinks all day long, they can easily ingest over a thousand to fifteen hundred empty calories of sugar in a day's time. And when you look, lay all this out, all of a sudden the safety directors start looking at this from a health and wellness standpoint, and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to take this conversation from a sports drink, because what you always would get is, I'll let them taste it and see what they think. Well, this isn't about taste. Just it's got to taste good. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, what are we putting in their body and what's it doing to them? Just like external PPE, you know, we don't give them a choice of what they want to use Mm -hmm. because it makes them happier, it makes them feel good we're giving them the product in the best interest and overall health of the worker and the, the interest and overall health of our company, period. And, and, those, and we make those decisions. The employees don't make those decisions. So we want to be in that TPE safety conversation. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
2: And we feel like we can meet the needs and challenges over and above some of these sports drink companies who really don't give a damn about the uh, industrial worker. So that's that's my two
3: cents. Well l- let me add one thing though, Bubba, and, and I know that you said taste taste often is an issue when when folks are looking at, at choices and take a choice away from a worker might uh, enable them to not want to. So here's what we did when we introduced the product. We presented them with facts, we presented them with the the load I passed out sticks across the board. We put baskets of this this, mixed brand, mixed variety, I should say, of squincher sticks near the refrigerator. And we passed out water bottles. We told people how to mix it. As I was giving my presentation, when we were done at the end of the presentation, my plant manager stood up and said, does anybody not like the taste of this? As he was drinking a blueberry sugar-free stick. And there was not a soul in that meeting of about 85 people that raised their hand and said they didn't like the taste. And he turned to me and he said, good, this is our new electrolyte uh, brand of drink. <clears throat> and, I, and I recognized the fact that he was so supportive. But I think once we presented the facts and then once we gave them an option, we didn't put two blind bottles in front of them and say, hey, try this and try this. We just laid it out there and said, does anybody not like it? Honestly, God, I would have expected at least 10 hands to go up and say, ah, this tastes like crap. Nobody, nobody. Hmm.
2: Well, that's how we, I mean, when, when I got to Squincher, the way that we sold the product 11 years ago, so we actually had trailers where we would drive around, we'd pull up into your plant and request to do a, a taste test challenge against the major brand and uh, that's how we went to market I mean there, there wasn't any hydration safety or anything else it was 100% on taste because it really was it was not the PPE conversation back then and you're right Scott and, and don't get me wrong When I'm, uh, we can't force the workers to do anything uh, and if we force them to this, the, the morale is going to go down and that's a big part of a hydration safety program is morale, you know, right. and, and they've got to like the product. They have to trust the product. Um, you know, our popsicles have helped. Uh, both these gentlemen have, have, are responsible for people that work in horrendous conditions. And you know what? A, a popsicle when it's 125 degrees is uh, it's pretty damn good. You yeah. know, and, and then from a physiological standpoint, it's co- cooling in a safety standpoint. It's, it's cooling their core body temperature and lowering their c- core body temperature safely than a, than liquid will. Now that's a secondary hydration product. We can talk about that later. It's accompanying what Scott's talking about, the primary product. We don't want to confuse the fact, Oh, all we need is popsicles now. That's, that's not the case. So yeah, I mean, they, you got to, you got to kind of lead them to drink and then the product better stand up and we and we know it does so
1: mm-hmm. yeah i believe that the uh the popsicles really helped i had a i had a big i had a big issue here with brand loyalty i guess you'd call it with <clears throat> the older generation you know they grew up on gatorade it had been around squincher wasn't that readily available and uh and they were hung on the taste you know for some reason but then when the popsicles came out and they start taking those, well, then they see those same flavors in the quick sticks and they're like, oh, well, it's pretty good in the popsicle. So it's been an easy transition. I still have both in the meal, 99% squinchers right now. I still have some of those old sticklers that that wanna hang with something else, but I I give them their choices, what they wanna wanna use.
0: My biggest um, resource for when I was working with my staff was that educational piece. and and highlighting the value of using one method over another. That for me is um, one of the things that I always kept in mind as a health and safety manager. And when you did that, you know, 99% of the time they would come on to the program with you because they too wanted to lead a healthier lifestyle because that's where we're getting to in society now. More of us are concerned about that. We understand the value. But there's even a bigger conversation that we can dive into here that I'm seeing, and that's organizational success. By having a solid hydration program, you're actually providing a big benefit and value to the business itself. So I wanted to open that up for discussion.
4: I think um, to go along with that, one of the things I've noticed in, in my career dealing with um, hydration is a lot of times uh, companies deal with the, um, with the symptoms. So they wait till it's summertime instead of looking at it as a complete plan. And so I've always, when I've helped companies set up a hydration program and or done training is like you you mentioned, you have to look at it um, as a complete system to educate them about hydration and not just the symptoms from not doing it. And depending on the industry that you see a lot of that, they'll always talk about heat cramps and heat stress and heat exhaustion. And that's all that they normally would get. And so that makes it a seasonal thing, right? So it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. So to go along with the educational aspect of it, when we talk about hydration, it's an everyday, year-round thing. And I agree. I've had great success uh, with companies and, and their, their program by educating them uh, on, the, on the benefits of the hydration. So we fix it before we get to the symptoms.
0: And and the other thing I wanna piggyback on that, that a lot of people fail to think about, hydration has a impact long-term on your body. If you're not hydrating when you're younger and throughout your life properly, then that means on the tail end, you're gonna have higher health risks. It's also about creating an organizational culture that is really embracing the whole concept of a nutritional consciousness. What is your thoughts about that?
3: The culture thing. I'll, I'll speak to the culture thing from my perspective. Nucor is, it has a goal of being the safest steel manufacturer in the world. And it's a goal that we live by every day. And it's not just in the summer. Um, when, when vendors come in to see me and they look either hot or sweating because even my office is in air conditioned. first thing I do is I reach for a bottle and I hand them a stick. I tell them right up front, I said, you come to see me, you're gonna act like we want our teammates to act. I had one of my vendors, and I won't mention his name or the company, but he started telling me that he had cramps in his legs and he was blaming uh, the fact that he bought a treadmill and was starting to try to exercise, he was overweight. And honest to God, I told him, I said, I, I said, hey, you're not drinking enough water. And I'm not a health professional. I, I don't want anybody to misinterpret with it that, that I think I know what I'm talking about. But I told him, I said, you're probably not drinking the water. He says, you're probably right. I handed him five bottles of water. I handed him some squincher sticks. It was about 10 days later, he came back and he said, I had a doctor's appointment because my legs were still cramping. And he told me that I wasn't drinking enough water. I immediately took him to the bathroom and showed him our hydration chart. And I said, check out check out the color and, and the consistency of, of when you're going to the bathroom and, and ask yourself, are you hydrated? And it must've been a month or two later, it took him to flush out whatever the heck was was clogging up his legs. But he came in one day and he wasn't limping. And I said, what's going on? And he said, my God. He said, I started drinking more water at night. And he goes, it disappeared. And I said, you cannot hydrate just during the day. You cannot just put two Swincher bottles down your throat during the day and assume that you're hydrated, you have to drink water all day long. When, the, when when you hear ads and diet and all that kind of stuff, they're telling you to drink eight glasses of water. There's a reason for that. It's not because somebody thinks that you're going to uh, lose body weight by flushing stuff out. That's bull crap. It's about hydration.
1: Yeah. Well, <clears throat> here, our culture has to be a little different. Um, we try to start, I mean, we want that hydration to start at home because when you walk into a paper mill, you walk into a hot environment immediately. You don't have time to work up to getting hot. You know, you're walking into something covered in steam, the humidity's out the roof, and so it's already too late when you walk out on the floor to, uh, to start hydrating. If you're not already hydrated or if you had a bunch of caffeinated or alcoholic beverages the night before, you're you're going to be you're going to be struggling from the go when you come in the door here. So, that that's a big push. And our plan is to do this at home. What to drink at night? We try to educate our employees on, you know, what activities to to do. We try to limit a lot of the activities. We well we can't limit them, but we encourage them not to get off on a on a uh, seven to three shift and then. And then go back in and, and spend three hours working in the yard and sweating and then go in and drink Cokes and things all night. So we try, our culture, we try to get them to take that hydration home with them because, like I say, once they get here, it's too late. You know, you you don't have time. Even for me, as an, uh, when I walk out on the floor, you can immediately tell if you have enough fluids in your body because you may walk out there and it's, a, it's 115, 120 in the air and it's wet and uh it just zaps you takes the takes the energy right out of you so in our program we we stress doing it before you come to work
0: let's drill down on that what you said right there because you said in our culture we we want to start it at home and so you know i've always challenged this whole safety culture thing that's out there and organizational culture buzz these are buzzwords to me because in my view Culture is something that's your beliefs and your values. And do you really switch those off because you you work walk out of work? Does that make sense to anybody here?
1: A lot of people do. I mean, not just with hydration, with all safety. You know, they know they have to do it at work. And, you know, do they wear safety glasses when they're weed eating at home? Some do. Most don't. You know, do they wear hearing protection at home? And so why would it be any different with the hydration plan? If you're not pushing it, they're not on their own going to remember to do it. Some of them will. Some of them, some of them will. Some of them were doing it on their own anyway. But we try to give them as many reminders as we can to to start this at home. But just like like I say, you go home, you go drive by your employees' homes while they're mowing the yard. Very few of them will have on safety glasses and hearing protection. So no different with the hydration.
2: When you get up in the morning and you go to bed at night, what what is on your mind? What, 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 what concerns you? What drives you? All companies will tell you they're committed to a health and wellness program. Okay, what is that health and wellness program? I want mom and dad coming to work, as Blake said, hydrated because they're practicing what we've taught them from a health and wellness standpoint. So they feel better, their attitude's better, and then when they walk out of, more importantly, when they walk out of that plant, that they are feeling good, they're hydrated, they're not going to get behind the wheel and have a heat stroke, they're not going to go home and get on the couch because they're suffering from onset symptoms of dehydration, and they can't be a good father, good husband, good uncle, whatever. They can't throw the ball, they can't go fishing, they can't do anything because they're ignorant to the fact of what's happening physiologically to their body they they're, they're clinically and, and, and chronically dehydrated that's that's for me you want to talk about culture i mean they if if they are not healthy productive moms and dads and boyfriends and girlfriends we're, we we have failed them
3: How can you uh, take that message and get it out in industry in, in the into society, Baba? You know I mean, that, that's it, a tough one. It, you have a you have this it, it, sector of industry, and typically it's a safety guys or it's a, a couple others. That's a big message to get out to the world. How can we help?
2: It is. It is, and and I think we do. You know, we have to do it one person at a time. We we have to increase the. At our own facilities, and I'm talking about squincher too. I mean, you know, I'm I'm over the safety here. These hundred folks making the product as we speak, n- making sure that we have that hydration safety training once or twice a year. You know, we get get the folks to participate in it. It, it maybe it's mandatory. If you look at the list of trainings that OSHA expects you to do in a year's time, you're going to have the mandatory trainings that are mandated by the standards. And then you're going to have the recommendations that they list. Well, peat stress is number three on that recommendation. To your question, Scott, I think we use more of this type thing um, to escalate that
3: message. What kind of community areas could we go out and help as an industry? One of our other goals in our corporation is to make sure that we reach out to our community when there is various things that we could do to help what what can we do to help the community become more aware of um these these issues that's a great question
4: i can add a little bit to that um as a distributor uh for this product um and others but mainly for this product we hold uh community events habitat for humanity golfing events um we go around. We have our own barbecue teams where we present at these large barbecue events, and we promote that when we're there. We bring samples. We talk it up. We explain the the uh, educational part of it because that's important. And Tamara, to your point, um, you know the safety culture. It is. It's a it's a buzzword, but in order to get somebody to take it home with them, because a the culture does become your core values. And mm-hmm. to Bubba's point, you're only going to ha- make that happen through education. So we do that in the community outside the, uh, the industrial world. And um, we just hope that it helps, um, you know, uh, going forward because uh, there's sons, there's daughters, there's aunts, there's uncles that uh, go to work each day. And maybe the company that they're at isn't getting quite the, uh, the education that they need to create this, this culture that we keep talking about. Well, I know that uh, for, for us we we um we utilize all the technology that that's out there today, and we're using it right now and it's a great way to reach the masses. Uh, I know that in our marketing department and education department we create uh, short videos um I did a hydration video actually last year um, doing a, a two part uh, video again this year, and that goes out to not just like you say, the individuals that you're going to be training at a plant, but because of the nature of the internet and social media, we get it out on LinkedIn, we get it out on our blog. So I think that these types of new media are probably the best way that we can hit the commercial or non-worker as well as the workers that we do right there on site or that uh, Scott does and Blake does.
1: I try to encourage my my employees we have a thousand plus employees here right so we know what their training they've received on hydration and and all that but those those thousand people are also the little league coaches the little league football coaches the team moms you know and we we encourage them to take that to their to their little league practices to their football practices even as so far as encouraging them to take a package of the of the quick sticks with them you know to practice and uh, different things like that. Give them information where they can get them. Uh, so I like to use the front lines. I mean, I know what these people know. We taught them that, or we we've given them the education. And uh, and I have seen several of them take it out into the community, whether it be little league football teams, or you know, or, or even you know your rec league softball and things like that. So that's that's the main way we get it out to the community.
4: Actually, uh, to follow up, Blake, that's a great idea. We we actually do the same as well. Um, and a lot of the uh, the local little league teams, uh, we bring either the the pops or a cooler full of whichever uh, you know the quick sticks, and we educate them. And they're young kids, but the coaches are there as well, and we let them know that this is an important part. And we and we, and we dumb it down for a child, but we say you know that's why you're feeling this way. It'll make you feel better this way, and that does spread. It's um. I've had it spread to several teams within the area um, asking for it and wanting to uh, wanting to partake, so it's a good way.
0: no, that is a good way, and a lot of companies have baseball teams
4: It's really
2: important um, and you would think that you know college football teams, strength staffs, training staffs would be on top in in the best at, you know, at preventing these kind of accidents. Um, I was assistant strength coach at Mississippi State for two years, many moons ago. It was a big focus of ours. Um, but you remember the, the kid that died last year, two years ago, Maryland, mm-hmm. heat exhaustion, heat stroke. How's does it happen? Again, a 100% preventable. And sometimes we forget that and you know one hundred percent of all the accidents that that are out there are preventable that that's i mean that really i mean a hundred percent are and you know it it goes when when we when i'm talking when i have the privilege to talk to workers you know we talk about their children we, we talk about take your your cult the culture that that you have here that keeps you safe here. It's no different. I mean, you grab a, a handrail going down the staircase at work, grab a stairwell at home going down. Blake made a great point. You know, we, we probably aren't doing a great job if, if they're not using PPE when they go home. Um, so it's repetition. Uh, you know, it's getting to the boys in glove. Uh, Boys and girls clubs, just getting to the scouts, just get you know, it's all of that. Um, because this is truly a black box in a lot of cases, um, and it's not top of mind. It, and, and it's to me, it, it, it's it's what I always say is your 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 safety program starts and stops with hydration. Period. If they're dehydrated, the whole program is derailed
1: what make what makes hydrate hydration particularly dangerous i i can walk out on the floor and i can tell if you have your safety glasses on i can see if you have your earplugs mm-hmm. in i don't know how many bottles of water you drink you know and then now you got me relying on you to be honest with yourself and not be macho and say i'm okay when you're really not okay cuz i can't tell how you feel i can see how you look but that doesn't really tell me how you feel so the problem with hydration is I can't see when I can see when somebody's about to cut a finger off, but I can't see when they're about to have heat stroke, unless I mean unless they're just exuding all the signs. But uh, you know, especially at this meal, there's a big you know South Southern hard worker. I'm good. I can do this. I'm tougher than you are, and and it's it's a problem. And that's what leads to a whole lot of our our heat related illnesses. So.
0: And, it, and it's not even just the, the tough worker. Like, this moves me so much because when I was in retail, I had so many employees who would just literally fall down on the job sometimes because they weren't hydrating properly. And, and no matter how much we tried to educate them, they just weren't getting it. When we're health and safety, part of our job is finding resources because we don't know everything, right? health and safety professional we're not the the end of the like the knowledge train for everything we rely on professionals like yourself who are topic experts to come and share your knowledge
4: i think also too as, as we talk about this I, the education for hydration has come a long way um, since I first got in this business. Um, I remember actually many, many moons ago when I was in the military, um, whenever we were outside and, you know, doing strenuous activities, they actually had a big basin of cold water. And if somebody dropped, they just tossed you in it. And we all know that that's terrible now, but I mean, this is how, you know, this is the path that we've taken. And in the 25 years that I've done this, um, we have come a long way. So some of the things that we're doing, Scott, Blake, Bubba, all of y'all, um, it's working, and we have a, you know, we still have a ways to go, but we let's not forget we've certainly have come a long way.
3: In my mind, I, of course, everybody is thinking about this coronavirus activity that's uh, all around us. Um, I think one of the areas that could be focused on to help our communities is in disaster relief so when there's a hurricane down in was it SoSo or desota blake in, in mississippi i can't remember um we immediately sent down two pallets of water we sent down three cases of squincher i mean i have this burning desire to make sure that people are hydrated so do you do much mike or bubba in in the area of, of disaster uh, areas when there's a problem, uh, again, in, in the, in the area of Mississippi, we're, we're, we'll step up, we'll help. I just need to know where, where to help.
2: Yeah, we, we send, I mean, uh, in Houston, when, when they had the massive, when the hurricane and the massive flood and all that, as everybody remembers, you know, squinchers owned by Camp Precision food Group, who were, uh, dry goods packers. So we do a lot of dry baby food and you know, taco seasonings and all that kind of stuff. And we sent about three truckloads of of baby food and, and product to uh to Houston to the to the Salvation Army. And we sent uh two truckloads of squincher products as well. So anytime there there's issues like that we're 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 on the front lines, of, you know, basically giving the giving the products away. All the way back to Katrina, right before I got here. I mean, we we were sending a truck down there almost every day, and well, um, so we do get involved. As,
3: not even as much as a, a freebie, but do the emergency responders know that hydration is important? Do they know that water is important? Do they know about getting electrolytes in? I, I don't know that they don't. I'm just asking the question do do they is that an area that that uh, we might be able to help because in an emergency everybody has this heightened awareness level, and maybe maybe injecting some hydration message at that time might be helpful for that to stick with them for generations to come
2: yep no i I mean I agree why can't we go down and and do our trainings and all that with the people that they have. For example, with, I, I was heavily involved in the in the oil spill. I, I spent weeks uh, down in Ground Zero, Grand Grand Isle, all that area. I'd literally driving around with a pickup truck and training and, and giving people squincher. Um, and I got a meeting with BP uh, at their headquarters in Pensacola, and um, we were talking about the hydration program and their biggest challenge right then at that point, they were they were hiring hundreds, thousands of people all up and down the Mississippi or Texas, Mississippi and, and uh, Alabama coast to pick up globs of oil off the beach. And those people were overweight and they were dehydrated and they were giving them sugar product and there was issues. So we changed all that. To the sugar-free product and conducted training when they when all of them came in, we uh, we did hydration safety training with them right on the beach. Uh, so there's two you know there's two things that that we deal with in, in the workplace is you know having turnover and having a new worker come in in the middle of July or the middle of June and, or or we training. That one person, two people, three people, because they weren't here for our hydration safety. What is our plan for for new hires? That's what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, acclimation is a big, big part of it. I mean, are we going to throw somebody right? You know, they were selling shoes to JCPenney yesterday, and today they're on the jackhammer. I mean, what what are we going to do to ease them in, to acclimate them? Um, so it all comes back education awareness having a plan having protocols all that kind of stuff and um you can't do enough of it to all your points
3: we're going to definitely add that to our new new higher orientation safety visit so thank you for that
0: i wanted to piggyback on that and drill down a little bit further because scott like what you're saying you're taking away and putting it into your safety plan because Something like that was never thought of as part of our safety program plan. And so it, it then opens up the question to me, you know, we're clearly missing something in our in our education as occupational health and safety practitioners. And then when you were talking about emergencies, and we do emergency management and crisis management planning. So again, as the professionals, this could be an area that we could be educated in about how it's important to include this in our planning.
4: Well, I think it starts with what Bubba had mentioned. I hate to keep going back to it, but it's education and how you present that. Um, I would probably say less than 1% of companies out there actually put hydration in their new higher orientation. I know that Um, When I was in the aerospace company, it it was not part of it. It was always a separate entity that you did seasonally or depending on where you lived, you know, in the United States. Again, all we did is we educated on the symptoms and we didn't actually, you know, deal with the with with the actual hydration issue as a lifetime event. So I think it starts Mm -hmm. there. And I think, it, again, it just comes to the education, whether, you know, Scott's putting out the education, Blake, Bubba, myself, I, I, I work with many, many, many different companies from all different aspects, from government to construction, to manufacturing, to food processing. So I have the ability to do this um, when we're called in to work with them on different aspects. But um, I think that's a huge part.
0: People can be reaching out to your team if they're interested in, in going along with us? How would they do that, Bubba? Uh,
2: yeah, I mean, I can share my, my information. Um, uh, there's a squinter info line that they can call. We changed our culture and we understood we are, we're consultants. We, we are, you know, hydration safety or not. We're, we need to become hydration safety experts. It's, it's everything. And when we go in and, and we're working with our partners, our customers who want the distributors, our customers are the consumers who are the end users. And we go in and we are truly passionate about helping them, help keep their people safe. And it is a life and death conversation. Um, things change. They do. And, and at the end of the day, if squincher the best fit for them, great. If it's not, that's fine too. Our job is to raise the overall uh, education and awareness part of the hydration safety element, period. Mm-hmm. And if we're not doing that, we're failing.
4: And I'd like to add, add to that a little too. Um, yes, working with distribution, we obviously have the products that we sell, but um, our company specifically, and, and some of the other distributors are kind of now um, branching off where they they provide not just the product, but like what I do for for my company is they have training elements. And so to go along with what Bubba said, for me when I go out there, I'm not selling anything. I am I am a safety person. I am an educator. And then we have salespeople all over the whole world. Does they can come in and sell afterwards. Um, And a lot of distribution, um, good ones, (laughs) are starting to do that now because we realize that uh, we need to be more than just um, peddling a product.
3: Do you have any statistics on uh, what kind of dehydration morbidity is out there? I mean, we hear hear the sports stories because it was a, a famous Maryland football player or a high school kid down the street. But...
2: Yeah, Is that there's some numbers that I could not,
3: use to shake up the, the 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 mass. Yeah.
2: One of the things that I use, you know, you you need some shock factor, right? Shock value sometimes to get people's attention. And most of the time people don't think about dehydration it can kill you. Of mm-hmm. people really don't think it's mm-hmm. that serious. But let's look at the numbers. Great question. So combine. All natural disasters together annually and still dehydration-related deaths, that number's higher. Wow. There's more people that die from dehydration than all natural uh, disasters combined annually.
3: Wow, 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 yeah, wow.
2: That's, that, that's, that, is, that That is a story. Mm-hmm. Now, and, and those are facts. I mean, those are real numbers. Okay.
0: And people may not even realize it because dehydration, like we know that it can impact your skin because we know as consumers we can see things drying out, but there's also like inside our body, you know, the our muscles that we're using to do our work, standing up or in in the steel mill, Um, when people's like kidneys, just our brain for thinking, like it it's just hydration impact so much like what's the percentage we are of water as humans
2: 65 to seventy percent you're supposed to be uh, water and, I mean and you just you think about your brain seventy percent 65 seventy percent uh, water you you talk about uh, organ function you know there's the Mayo mm-hmm. Clinic right now they're they're doing a lot of studies on on um, liver, uh, kidney, bladder, you know, what connections does bladder, does dehydration have to do with bladder cancer, for instance, because if you're not properly hydrated, your, your body's not flushing the toxins through your, your, your filters, right? Um, uh, mm-hmm. organs properly. So with those toxins just sitting in the liver, or kidney or whatever, is, is that escalating or, or causing you know, things like cancer. Um, you mentioned skin. I mean, there's so, to me, we're going to learn going forward that a lot of our health issues in this country are simply because we are not hydrated. And again, the, the, we talk about numbers. 75% of the U.S. population is chronically dehydrated. That, that is a statistic. Wow. That, that's out there. That's yeah. That's huge.
3: That's
4: huge. Yeah. Well, you know, huge. I, think that, I think that adds to a point, too, when, you, you know, um, Scott, you had mentioned the, the mortality rates, you know, in the in the safety industry, we always look at acute and chronic illnesses. So I wonder, do we take into effect how many of, of, of us or some of these numbers that Bubba mentions, you know, are they all acute There's heat exhaustion and they died? Or how many of those are chronic that have happened over a lifetime of mm-hmm. dehydration? You, the numbers would skyrocket after that so i think you have to look at both aspects of it not just the individual that went from zero to a hundred and had heat exhaustion and died you know you have the the bladders the cancers all of that
2: Hmm. very close friend of mine called me one day um out of the blue and said by the way i got bladder cancer and uh he's 50 years old and the first thing that uh that the doctor asked him, he said, "You know, you must be a heavy smoker." And Kenny said, no, nah, I don't smoke." And he goes, "You don't?" And he goes, "No," because it's almost a hundred percent of the folks that are diagnosed with bladder cancer are heavy smokers. Whatever connection that is. So after talking to him, Kenny, Kenny's chronically dehydrated. He's been, I mean, he doesn't drink any water. None. He never has. And uh, they're actually rolling his case into a study because they think that dehydration has played a big role in him with this cancer issue.
4: Hey, Bubba, on that note, is there any um, testing or any way that um, we're able to identify some of these chronic conditions caused by dehydration over time? Are doctors looking at that, or is there any any numbers or testing or viable data out there to uh, support that? Because I will tell you, to me as a trainer, that's valuable information because we're all talking about training, 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 which we all understand is is the key. But this type of data um, would be real important to incorporate in the trainings that we do.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, there's a there's a lot out there. I mean, you you can you can spend a lot of time with the Mayo Clinic. That's kind of, that's kind of our go-to and I mean, they got, they got some pretty wild things that, I mean, drinking a glass of water before you go to bed at night with uh, folks with heart disease reduces their uh, risk for stroke by 95%. I mean, there's some, crazy stuff already out there. we just got to go find it and in this again it it's becoming dehydration it is becoming a big topic in this country. and I was on uh, but again it is a black box when I was on this global webinar uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, there was a lady I think I think she was from London maybe and she said, it seems to me that next to mental illness dehydration is is an epidemic in your country or in the world
1: mm-hmm.
2: I mean yeah it, it, you know there's a uh, you look at thorough, you look at uh long term health in this country I uh, did a lot I've done a lot of research on that I, I, I've talked to a lot of administrators of those type facilities and I came across an article that said dehydration in U.S. long-term care nursing home facilities is greater than dehydration in third-world countries. You know, you start digging that dehydration goes deep, and, and it touches everybody, and again, not knowing what you're suffering from and you're laying on the couch and you don't know why you can't go out mm-hmm. and throw the ball with your kid i can't that's not acceptable to me it's too easy to fix it i mean it just it, it's but if they don't know they can't fix it so so that's our goal that's why we're talking here today
1: it's
3: interesting because as soon as you go in the hospital what's the first thing they do pop an iv of saline solution Right. Why, why is it just, just common knowledge? It's, this is actually very enlightening to me.
2: And, and we, we don't see it. We see through it. We don't see the trees, or the forest,
3: mm-hmm.
2: or the forest, or the trees, or whatever. whatever but it's it.
0: not common knowledge. And, and, like, as a safety professional, you know, that concerns me because the more I started to do research in this, some of the things as safety professionals we start pointing our fingers at, like, mm-hmm. oh, somebody's not focused. Somebody's reaction time wasn't fast enough. There's like, I could just list it off what people say, um, you know. Um, and then when I go back and I'm doing the research, dehydration impacts all of this.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: So it impacts your cognitive abilities, it impacts your reaction time, it impacts your focus and your concentration. It creates you to be slower in how you react when you're working a crane. That's critically important, you want the person Mm -hmm. operating the biggest piece of equipment to be at their best, you know, in their reaction Mm -hmm. time, especially. And so it's like we've really kind of missed the ball, we didn't even catch the ball, didn't even know the ball existed on this. So, now I thank you for your time, but before we go and we close out, I wanted to ask if anybody had some last ideas to share with the audience
2: yeah i mean number one i thank everybody for for being on the call um i've learned a lot just just by talking and listening um but i i think the biggest takeaway that we have is we we've got a we got a huge challenge and job in front of us I can't go talk to anybody. I can't go do any training right now. It's very disturbing to me because of this lockdown. We didn't, we didn't really talk about COVID. But one thing that's coming out of this is you can go to the CDC's website and hydration and electrolytes, by the way, which OSHA will not get into, but CDC has, they are pushing this. So this is going to raise the overall message and create some sort of a wave I think that we can ride and and then we hit the street we hit the ground running and get to as many facilities in as many ways as we can to educate the masses and um for that I'm uh I'm excited I'm optimistic and again appreciate the opportunity that that Blake uh has given us to to help them and 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 Scott as well, and they trusted Squincher, basically with their people, and we do not take that lightly at all. So we're always on the front lines, researching, writing white papers, articles, doing doing these kind of things, because this is what matters. They're producing the product, and they're doing all that at Squincher. This is what we got to be doing: is looking to make make this better, and and staying in front. Uh, in front of it as, as much as we can so that's that's how I'd like to close.
4: I would say that Thank uh, you. I, I would probably just say that from just companies from that standpoint is understand uh, the educational value. Implement this in all aspects of your safety program to include new higher orientation. Um, you may need to train more than annually. We always get stuck when we talk about OSHA and all of the OSHA programs. And Bubba had mentioned that the primary and, and recommended, but there's nothing that says we, we can't do this more than once a year. And you need to look at this um, as another piece of personal protective equipment and not just a, a drink, a bottle of water, a can of electrolytes. You have to look at it like a respirator, Tyvek suits, earplugs, glasses, face shields. The sooner you do that, and the more efficient you are doing that, you will create that culture in your company and inevitably it'll bleed out into family members, community. Um, we just need to keep, keep up the good fight.
3: Well, I mean, <clears throat> I, I think that we've, we've done a decent job of of creating buzz around uh, the whole hydration issue. We've, we've done, we've done a lot of education at, at the site. We've, it's a part of our hydration program. It's not the only hydration issue that we use. We also bought uh, refrigerators at each one of our uh, areas and we deliver fresh fruit so that the worker can, when they're not feeling like they want to eat, they have the ability to go in and get some fresh fruit, whether it's an apple, a handful of grapes, a banana, a peach, watermelon, et cetera, et cetera, so that they can get some of those natural sugars in them. But, uh, they, they, Our workers have a tendency to really want to be focused on uh, a healthy environment, and I think that the Squincher product is a, a wonderful addition to that whole program. So thank you for that. And Bubba, some, some of the things I learned today were, were very insightful, and, and, I, and I'm going to use that information uh, in addition to what we've already done. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Great.
1: Well, uh, I guess while I was listening to everybody talk, you know, we, we, uh, we do an annual refresher on, on confined space and we do annual refresher on, uh, lockout, tagout, things like that. But hydration is a little different. You can't, you can't do it one time a year. You can't, I mean, it's gotta have something that you keep, you keep up front. It's around here. It's a daily, it's a daily thing, whether it's, you know, making sure everybody's got the got the inventory for water bottles or water coolers are full or somebody's got the responsibility to fill them up and that's what we put in our hydration plan is i drove it down to each department they have a form they have to fill out and post and it tells me who's responsible in each department to make sure that they have those hydration ingredients out there on the floor that they have what they need and uh so it's something that you got to push every day. Like I say, it can't be a one-time refresher because it's just going to get hotter and hotter. Now, we do ramp it up about this time of year, starting in April, but uh, it's something we try to keep out there all the time because uh, inside the building, the atmosphere doesn't change. It's still hot year-round. So that's that's one we do constantly. Yeah, I do the I do the one-time-a-year heat stress training, but the rest of the time we're keeping it up front so that's not one you can train one time and let it go
0: thank you very much bubba scott blake and mike for coming on the show and sharing all this knowledge with our listeners
2: thank you thank you everybody yeah it's awesome and i learned a lot today i did
3: good thank you
2: have a great weekend uh,
0: we hope that you enjoyed this episode and our conversation with Bubba Walford, Scott Yetter, Blake Haynes, and Michael Kay. If you're looking for the show notes, please navigate over to safepedia.com and you can find them now under the topic podcast. Would you like to join us at our Safety Connect virtual conference? Please take a moment to register at industryconnectsafety.com, it's free to attend. And if you're looking to be a virtual exhibitor, Please connect with me and and I can help you. Are you looking for safety resources to share out with your team or with your network? Go to safepedia.com. We've got webinars, Q&As, and articles all free for you to share out with anybody that you want at safepedia.com. Until next time, stay safe.